street epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Epistemic, episode number six. My name is Reed Nicewonder. Today I have Anthony and Dan with me, and later on we'll have as a guest uh, Tom from Pebbles. We'll, we'll be doing a, another breakdown video. Um, he'll be telling about his adventures so far and becoming a street epistemologist and what he's been doing. Um, but first up, uh, what happened since last show? Um, First thing is there, Anthony, you want to talk about this fundraiser for Jennifer Smith? Definitely. Yeah. Hey guys, nice to be on the show with you again. So uh, a friend of mine did something incredibly stupid two days ago and, or is it three days? It's kind of a blur. I think it was three days ago now. Uh, he ended up taking his wife's life and the, the life of, of himself orphaning three kids. And I'm, uh, disgusted by his actions and I'm trying to channel that anger into something positive and we've we've uh, we've been talking with the family I've been talking with the the mother and father of the woman who was killed the mother of the, the three girls the grandmother and grandfather of the mother of the three girls I should say and they, they've established a fundraiser to raise money for those girls. Uh, they're going to need some, some help, some therapy. There's a house that needs to be probably be sold, stuff like that. Family coming out for funerals. And there's a great fundraiser that's been established by the family members uh, that I verified personally. This is, this is a legitimate account. I created a tiny URL to take you there. If you just go to tiny URL, um, Smith girls, tinyurl.com forward slash smithgirls. It will route you to the GoFundMe. I noticed that the family member set the goal of $50,000. I just refreshed. They're at 24,061. They're almost halfway there. And I think they started this yesterday. So that's very encouraging. Uh, and and I, I don't want to start the show on a down note. But I mean, in a way, this is kind of a good thing. The way that the community is coming together to try to help these girls is is really uh, it's inspiring, and it's helping me cope with this tragedy as well. So uh, yeah, if you haven't already donated, I would hopefully uh, encourage you to go ahead and do so. This is for a good cause, and uh, these three girls can really use our help. So if you would please go to GoFundMe, you can search for help. Help the Smith Girls, or the tiny URL, which is Smith Girls, tinyurl.com forward slash Smith Girls, I believe is the is the link to that. Um, they can really use your help. The family can use your help. They're, they're from out of town. They uh, the, the 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 surviving family has been flying in to take care of these girls, and uh, it would be great if you guys can step forward and just make a donation. Five ten bucks would be wonderful. Thanks, Reed. Sure thing, yeah. Thanks, Anthony, for sharing that. Um, uh, yeah, once again, tinyurl.com slash smithgirls. Um, all right, uh, next up is uh, we're going to be recapping Anthony's chat with uh, Matt Dillahunty, Blake Ginta, and Ozzy Mendias um, about the belief scale, uh, which turned into pretty much a discussion about the belief map. What, what happened there, Anthony? 
it's so I'm kind of baffled because when I was reaching out to Ozzy and Matt and Blake, the whole talk was supposed to be about the belief scale. Everyone involved really has some strong feelings about the belief scale that we use in street epistemology. And I thought, what the heck, let's get all four of us to talk about it. And when I was, when I was reaching out to Matt beforehand, uh, I think he had asked something like, this isn't going to be about that belief map thing, is it? And I said, no, hell no. And in fact, it seemed like it turned out uh, to to be about uh, an apologetic website that Blake has. So while that was a little discouraging, the conversation ended up being good, but it wasn't really what we had set out to do. So maybe there will be an opportunity to cover something new, uh, something maybe do a second hangout or something where we can get into the the pros and cons of the belief scale that we use when we're using street epistemology. But if you haven't checked it out, I'd encourage you to do so. We, uh, in addition to live streaming it for my YouTube channel, we recorded it. I was also mm -hmm. screen capturing it. And I, I included a couple minutes after we stopped the live stream just for the heck of it. And Matt, I guess, liked that little bit of it and included it in his Patreon version. So if you're not following Matt Dillahunty on Patreon, you can search for him there and uh, or go to his YouTube channel. I'm sure in a few days, the video will be available there on his YouTube channel. And at the end, there's some additional chatter that wasn't included in the initial live stream. So if you've watched this this discussion on my YouTube channel, you might want to just check it out again. Oh, man, cool. So, so there's some bonus features there with, uh, with Matt's video. Great. OK. And uh, also, we have some updated news about the SC logo initiative. Want to chat about that, Anthony? Or I can I can give yeah. it I can talk about it if you yeah, want. go ahead and talk about it I think I might have to refresh sure basically we have a winner we have chosen the uh, the winning logo but we're not gonna show it just yet we're gonna wait until January 1st 2018 so just be on the lookout for that uh, it's very exciting it's really great I can't wait to show it to you guys and uh, also something very special uh happened we got our first song inspired by inspired by uh, street epistemology which is very exciting um we're gonna play that or i think we can, we're gonna have a little intermission if i understand right after daniel leaves us and before our next guest comes on okay that song over and over so i think we'll include that once probably in between on the the version that we release on the podcast or on youtube we'll cut all that out we'll just loop it but we'll play it once, I think. But yeah, it's pretty neat to, it's neat to see people coming up with creative ways to promote street epistemology. I think the person, the person who wrote it, do we want to get into like the specifics of, of who wrote it? And I have their details here. I'd love yeah, to I share think we should. I think we should move on to the article just so we have enough time for. Uh... Okay. Right. Yeah, we could, we could save the song. That's a little teaser for the song. Yeah, it's a teaser. So, yeah, Anthony talk about anthony and dan want to talk about the uh, the article yeah. where to start yeah, welcome you back. go ahead and, yeah thank you um so i know i haven't been on the podcast for a little bit now um and i'm really sorry about that uh i'm in college and so i've got a lot going on with school i work as well um and i love doing street epistemology i love being a part of the community um, but i just felt like i needed to take some time for myself for a bit to kind of get my life a little more organized and I honestly didn't intend to come on this week. I was hoping to come on hopefully later this month, but I felt like I had to come on for this particular uh, issue that's come up. And unfortunately, I won't be able to stay. I do have to go to work in a little bit, but I'm just going to spend enough time so we can talk about 
um, this fun little article that uh, somebody wrote about Anthony and I. Um, Anthony, do you want to give a little more background on that? Oh yeah, sure. Or, so yeah, from my understanding, uh, an apologist wrote an article and posted it on the 27th Monday of this week, and it's called "Street Epistemology: Deceit on the Street." And I believe it's written by Tom Gilson. He is a Christian apologist that he's, I think he even wrote an, a, a book or some sort of article about his concerns about street epistemology. I think he's been going and giving presentations on his concern about the method. And uh, he's been relatively quiet of late until, until this article. So yeah, let me read it. I haven't read it fully. I, I've been busy with the fundraiser for the for the three girls, but let me go ahead and read it. It says, uh, deceit on the street, uh, street epistemology, deceit on the street. And you guys feel free to jump in if you want me to, if you want to add anything here. Uh, and it's got a picture of me and Daniel from our video and my arms are in the air. Like he's <laughs> holding a gun at me or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, my hands in my pockets. I don't know Who why I chose that there? picture. Jeez. All right. I need to work out. Okay. So it starts <laughs> with a quote. It says, we are growing. There are people who are joining and evaluating their beliefs and abandoning them. Atheist movement leader, Anthony Magnabosco. Uh, he doesn't mention where he included that quote. There is an asterisk. Uh, he doesn't say exactly where he, he doesn't, yeah. doesn't say exactly where he heard the quote, but it is something that I probably have said. That doesn't seem like, it doesn't I, seem like something I wouldn't say. It's in the video. It's at 5220. Oh, you have a timestamp. Okay. That's what it says in the summary. Yeah, from where the asterisks are at. Oh, really? So I guess it okay. was something that you said. Um, yeah, I'm not questioning that I, that I said it. So it says, yeah. yeah, we are growing. There are people who are joining and evaluating their beliefs and abandoning them. It goes, three years ago, Peter Bogosian published a manual for creating atheists. Today, thousands of non-believers are rising up to study and use the methods he introduced, seeking to derail Christians from their beliefs. Earlier today, I linked to a video showing the effect it had on a young campus Christian leader. The first four and a half minutes are all you need to watch. Uh, I wonder why he says that. The first four and a half minutes kind of explained that you reached out to me and it, sh it is a refresh of the conversation that we had had. It doesn't at all get into... Um, it doesn't at all get into why you decided to reach out to me or the journey that you were on or anything. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think uh, he says the first couple parts because we're talking about it, it shows the clip of you first talking to me two years ago, and then it shows um, where I'm at now um, as a where my beliefs are at. And I think at some point I reject the notion of faith as a reliable form of knowing. And I, and I think that's kind of where the impetus of this article came from. Um, yeah. You know I mean? Okay. He goes, he continues, now I want to show you what's really going on here. Mm -hmm. Subheader, not great thinking. Manual for Creating Atheist author Peter Bogosian. Peter Bogosian's main expertise is in persuasion theory. That's important to know. He knows how to change minds. He also teaches critical thinking at Portland State University, but it's hard to take him seriously on that. Uh, try this one on for size. Um, that's probably not even realistic. I'm, I'm going to just skip that part of it. Okay. Um, he's sort of just uh, criticizing Bogosian here. Uh, subtitle, next one, it says, skillful, skillful persuasion indeed, but he does know how to persuade. In his book, he advises people to avoid confrontation. 
always maintain a friendly attitude, avoid discussing facts, and keep questioning how people use faith to come to know things. I think we didn't we have as a potential topic this whole idea of avoiding facts. I didn't see that on our on our show notes today, but we we need to address that at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we don't do it here, then maybe the next show. Uh, he goes. He continues, which is a deceptive, which is a deeply deceptive question. Even though most Christians don't see it, it is also the core of this method for creating atheists. Yeah, and he's referring to keep questioning how people use faith to come to know things. The technique is called street epistemology. It's a philosophical study of how we can know what we know or think we know. Anthony Magnabosco, the interviewer in this video and an earlier related one, link, asks over and over again, is faith a reliable way for you to know God is true? And there's some asterisks there. Uh, before I explain what's wrong with the question, I need to put it into context. Watching the video, do you watching the video, do you see how the interviewer seems so interested in hearing what the other person thinks? It appears as if all he's doing is asking innocent questions to draw out the person's own thinking. But what he asks so often is faith a good way to know your religion is true the effect and it's intentional based on their training is to implant the idea that faith actually is a way to know that religion is true one last paragraph yes. here. that's the heart of se the technique stands or falls with it but it's a false technique for that's not what faith is faith isn't about how we know but whom and what we trust and then his next section is redefining faith, which we can probably get to after we chat about this first one. Yes. So the main issue I had with this article um, was that sentence right before. But when he asks so often, is faith a good way to know your religion is true? The effect and it's intentional based on their training is to implant the idea that faith is actually a way to know that religion is true. Um, because that implies that I didn't think that beforehand that i didn't use faith already to come to conclusions about my belief and this is objectively not true and i know this because we have the video (laughs) and if you watch the video it's about seven minutes in i went ahead and checked um, because human memory can be unreliable on testimonies Um, just a quick sidebar (laughs) Uh, i brought up faith and used it as a justification for my personal beliefs And then Anthony continued to uh, ask me about that. Um, And I pointed this out to Mr. Gilson, and I did send him a Facebook message. And he wasn't willing to take the article down because um, I don't know why. Which, by the way, if you ever feel uncomfortable having an interview with Anthony and you ask him to take it down, he's going to take it down for you. I haven't seen a case where Anthony hasn't done that for anybody. because he doesn't want to misrepresent anybody's beliefs. But it's important that we, I think, also read the little correction that he has here at the bottom. Do you know what I'm talking about, Anthony? Do you want to read it? With the three, yeah, with the three asks. I can read it out loud. It says, Daniel contacted me via Facebook to remind me that Anthony didn't implant this idea in his mind, that Daniel, in fact, brought it up first. That would be a true description of the conversation, and I'm noting this as a correction. Anthony didn't implant the idea but he did reinforce it. I still consider it manipulative because I know through multiple other sources that it's been explained to him more than once that this is a false view of what faith is. Some Christians like Daniel may think that's what faith is, but not those who have given it careful thought along the lines I've written above. 
If Anthony had been honest, he would have brought that into the discussion. He didn't. It certainly underscores the importance of solid teaching on the nature of faith in our churches. So there's this continuing theme that I see with apologists, and it could be Mark, Tim, Tom, Cameron, etc. cetera, uh, when it comes to this idea of faith. Time and time again, I hear this complaint that we, we are asserting that they're using faith as a method. Or in this case, um, what was the word he uses? Uh, Slipping it in or twisting it in or something like that. Uh, You reinforce the idea. Yeah, Yeah, he changed it. Okay, so it's very important to when you look at these examples of the conversations that I have or read, for example, or other people, what I notice, and, and I'll speak for myself only here, but I try to be very careful. I, I don't even like to mention the word faith. You might have to go back really, really far in my videos to see where I might say, are you using faith for that belief? What I usually ask them is, why do you think your God is real? Why do you think uh, Allah is real? How did you determine that that is true? And people will usually offer faith at that point, or they offer other reasons. Like, for example, they have a personal experience, or they were raised that way, or some other thing, or they think that they have evidence. But as you're having these dialogues with people and you're asking these Socratic questions, the true reason for a person's belief is usually revealed by them. They're revealing it to to me. So I usually just ask questions to see if what they're providing as a reason for their belief is really the reason. And usually they end up by saying, well, it really just comes down to faith. And they're telling me that that is the way that they're coming to know that this God is real. I think it's important also to just interject here that we don't just use SE with Christians about Jesus. I think that's another little misperception that I see time and time again from these these folks in particular. I, I hope that they would go and look and see the examples that are out there on my channel and reads and everybody else's. Look at some recent videos. Watch 10 of them. I think you'll find that not every talk is about Jesus and not every talk is about faith. And if the talk ends up coming to faith, it's usually not because we are tricking a person into saying that they're using faith as a method. People are telling us that they're using faith as a method. Mm-hmm. They're, they're coming out and actually saying that that's the case. So this whole idea that we're misleading people is is becoming quite frustrating. I'm not exactly sure why why they continue to do it. Either they haven't taken the time to research these videos. Um, either they haven't taken the time to research the videos or they've seen enough videos and they're just ignoring what they're seeing and they're just going forward. So it's it's becoming a little frustrating and frankly, it's becoming a little embarrassing to see them keep doing this. So mm-hmm. either, you know, we're spending a lot of time on this, maybe more time than we need to, but it's it's kind of getting a little discouraging to keep seeing it come up time and time again when we keep explaining that that's not what we're doing. And it's just a matter of watching these exchanges and just look and see what's happening. 
Yeah. I also just want to point out that this article implies that somehow I lack the autonomy to know what my own beliefs are. And I think that in itself is pretty disingenuous. I was a Christian for 20, 21 years of my life. You can see that I was out on campus with people from my ministry when you talk to me. You know, this was, I, I had my own beliefs for a long time. The fact that I had a, conver a 30 minute conversation with an atheist about my beliefs did not suddenly radically change the conditioning that I was brought up with. That took a year, a year and a half to fully deconstruct all of these ideas. And it wasn't like I wasn't looking for good reasons to believe what I believed. When I realized that, and, and that's what the rest of this article is kind of criticizing. It's this idea that faith alone can't be a good justification. I agree. That's why I, I wanted to look for better reasons. The problem is this article redefines faith as a kind of attitude based on logic and reason and scripture. I believe that's a quote in here somewhere. It's um, an, atti an attitude of trust in whom or what we know. Yeah. Um, so now if, and, if, I, if I ran into somebody on the street and they provided that definition of faith, I wouldn't interject and say, excuse me, ma'am, that's really not the definition. It's actually pretending to know the things that you don't know. So let's continue. No, I would say, okay, that's fine. Let me write it down so I make sure that I understand it. And let's talk about the word that you're using and in what context. Can you give me an example? Can you give me an example of this usage of the word faith for something other than your God belief? Uh, or is it, are you only, uh, is it only at your disposal when you're using it for your God? Yeah. Or what is that trust based on? Mm -hmm. like yeah. So this is kind of good because when I, when I do see criticism like that, it makes me think, okay, maybe I need to be a little bit more careful. So I do appreciate this kind of this feedback. And I honestly am very grateful that they're drawing more attention to SE. And yet it, it is somewhat frustrating too, because I feel like this is something that we've, we've keep talking about. Uh, I will go with whatever de definition of, of faith or whatever word a person uses for the purpose of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was, um, excuse me. What What was Dan? What? How would you have defined faith when you first met Anthony? Right. I was or thinking about that, and um, I you did. Define, I, I think. I think I did, and uh, I I should have checked the video beforehand before we got onto here. Um, I think I could remember what you defined it as. You said something like. Uh, well, it's okay. I don't remember exactly, but I'm nearly certain that I asked you what your definition of that word was after you both said that it was a necessary component of your belief. Correct. And I do remember saying that faith, I remember both saying faith itself did count as evidence towards a belief being true. I don't know if I ever actually made that claim, um, but I do remember Bo insinuating something along those lines. And I also used faith to not only justify my belief, but to justify my personal experiences. Um, and I think that's important to note too, because I didn't have, I didn't have real objective evidence for my beliefs. I never, I don't think I ever claimed to, I think from the very beginning, I said that it was a personal conviction 
um, that was more subjective than anything. The other thing that kind of uh, bugged me was when you were challenging the author of this article in on Facebook that he sort of chided you for deviating from something that Bogosian started. And that's that's a little discouraging to see too. Like Bogosian, I think, would be the first person to say, there are no leaders in this. Like I'm not the Pope of street epistemology. Um, yes, the book was a starting point, but go in different directions and try to try to figure out how to improve on this. And and to be sort of laughed at because you're not towing the Bogosian line by this apologist was was also almost almost as dis discouraging as this whole article. So just a little point on that. Uh, you know, we are we are being encouraged to to improve on this method and and the way that we improve it is to go on go on this journey of using it and and seeing it what is effective and what's not and following the science i think se is is far more related to to the sciences and psychology than it ever has been about philosophy and you know i think i i do think that we might look back in 5 years at where we are today and and just marvel at how how much how how far we've come. So, totally. yeah, I, I this is all good. This is all healthy. While this is discouraging, this is healthy. This is us growing and getting better, and and watching out for maybe maybe we are being caught being careless in some areas here. So I think this is overall good uh, for a variety of reasons. I think you're right I know that it, it is good. You off, Daniel, but I think it it's pisses good. me off, Anthony, because I don't like that people are saying that you manipulated me. That's all, because it's oh. not just about. I know that you've received criticism in the past from people. This is the first time for me to really experience someone publishing something about my story and making claims that are just objectively false. Mm. Um, and so that's a new that's a new thing for me. Um, mm. And what's really, I just don't understand is that, I don't know, like, I'm not, you know, I'm just a college kid out here living life. And, and I've, I grew up in this faith of Christianity. It's not like this was anything new to me. It's not like I, I didn't do research for myself to try to figure things out after the fact. The, the fact that you just had a conversation with me and asked me questions shouldn't be a problem to people. Um, if if I was already doing ministry and leading other people to Christianity, and I was going on this really wrong idea of faith, nobody stopped me. You know, um, nobody questioned that. Um, so you can redefine faith all day, and that's fine. But I mean, you've already shown this in your videos. Reed, you've shown this in your videos. There are plenty of people out there who have an idea that faith is an implicit trust in something without evidence and whether or not the Bible or whoever actually says that it's about the interpretation that matters more than what the source says, because there are millions of people out there that already believe that. So. Yeah. And I think Tom, yeah. I've listened back to Tom's uh, debate with Peter Bogosian, like a little bit today. And I think he that makes was the Tim. or Tim. Yeah. Tim. And I think he makes the claim that less than 1% of believers hold that definition or use that definition. What definition? That faith is belief without evidence or something similar. 
that's not been my experience at all that yeah that was the other no. thing about this article is that tom said so, i don't know if it was this article but the facebook post something to the effect like anthony should know better he's talked to enough people yeah i've talked to enough people and they're telling me that they're using faith to come to their belief or to come to know that something's true this is coming right from them and i'm extremely careful when i have these conversations so that i'm not misleading anybody they are offering that as their justification they are offering that as their reason for this belief and i also i think it's somewhat funny when i when you see these apologists complaining that we are asserting what a definition is when they are the ones who think that they have the right definition and these christians in this case are using the word improperly so they're doing exactly what they're they are doing exactly what they're complaining that we're doing. Yeah. And we and do this because to, to see that we, projection. Yeah. We do this because they may have a good method that we have never heard of to justify a belief. And then they have a definition. Also, it's it's not like you've ever done SE with people and they've never said, Yeah, I do have evidence for my beliefs, and that's why I believe them. That happens all the time too. Um, but in my experience with even doing SE personally with people, most of the time, it seems to be an implicit faith thing that it's just kind of, you know, there on its own that doesn't require evidence. But, you know, people have different ideas of what this religion is. It's well, Reed, uh, to your point, just, I think the apologists would say that they're not using faith as a method. I've even heard people, I think it was Jonathan recently say that, no, 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 faith is what you, what you get after you've, after you've formed the belief. This is something that, that is available to you once you conclude that Jesus is real. And I even had an interlocutor, Cherry, I think her name was, that actually said that too. After she had initially said that she's using faith to be sure, when we discovered that faith was not reliable in the manner that she raised it and defined it, she then flipped it. She flipped it and said, no, 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 no. Faith is what you get after you believe. And I see the apologists doing the, doing the exact same thing. And I think, here's my hypothesis. I think these apologists realize that faith is a method and it's an unreliable one. And they're moving as far away from that as possible. Yeah. So even today, I'll entertain any definition that an apologist has for faith. And I'll entertain any justification that they have for their belief. Mm -hmm. Well, let's look at this within the Christian faith specifically. If you have a five-year-old, that says that he has faith in God. Is that because he's rationally concluded the evidence? You know, has he done scholarship on this work? Has he, you know, uh, reviewed the writings of ancient Christian theologians? No, I don't think that that's the case. I think people come to these beliefs because they've been taught that these things are true. And I don't think they've been given the same justification or evidence that someone who works in a university does. And I feel like that there's this weird separation between the circle of apologists and the average believer on the street that goes to church on Sundays and just lives their lives. Uh, because I really don't see a whole lot of parallel. It, there seems to be two different mindsets going on. There's a disconnect. Mm -hmm. And I think the disconnect is that the apologists have studied things long enough to realize the unreliability of faith as a method. And your average person on the street hasn't come to that conclusion yet, which is why we might be seeing 
an increase in presuppositional apologetics and these claims of, oh gosh, you are uh, UCs. I'm not going to actually say what they are, but you can refer back to the previous episode as far as what that was about. But yeah, I, I think I, I faith is dead. I think faith, people are realizing that faith is unreliable. When I meet people on the street, when they eventually raise that word, they tend to do it sheepishly. Like they realize that it's a weak argument. And I think it won't be long before people don't even use the F word anymore. Mm -hmm. I think when the criticism of Bogosian's definition of faith being that faith, what does he say? Faith is a, um, it's a belief without evidence, basically. And, and I think the apologist response to that is so critical because I don't think most people see it that way until they really think about it. You know, that's not what they really think of it until someone brings it up to them. I know that's certainly what uh, I would have thought at the time before you interviewed me, because I, I don't think I really gave it the thought that uh, led me to that conclusion, if that makes sense. Yeah, I have heard people say they've defined it outright. No, it's believing when you don't have evidence. They've literally said that. I have videos of yeah. people saying that. If there's anybody watching that would love to go through the videos and just do a compilation of me asking why do you believe that this is true and them offering faith as a reason and then maybe secondarily the def the various definitions that we receive and not just my videos but maybe all of all the essay videos that are out there that would really be greatly appreciated if you can do something like that i'd love to see mm -hmm. that. all right we're killing this subject to death sure that is interesting very interesting one cool. thing I would want to know, just to end it off, I would love to know if an apologist would concede that personal experiences can in any way be a reliable form of evidence that something is true or not. Um, and if someone could message me with that, I would love to know, um, because that's how I believe it. I think there's a lot of Christians that do that. I think if you take the experiences of the Apostle Paul, you would have to consider that. So a couple different avenues to go from there. I would love to hear a response to that. So. Right. Well, I think we have uh, work to get to, Dan. So we'll, uh, we'll see yes. you right now. And thanks for coming Thank on. Thank you, guys. You. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. Hopefully I'll be on in the future. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, but thanks. Bye, everyone. Right. Bye, Daniel. Yep. And I just want to give an introduction to Tom. Hey, Tom, how's it going? Hey, how you doing, Reed? Good. So what's next up on our docket here? Let me see. We were just getting some questions to vamp in case Tom didn't come, but I guess we'll just move forward to, to Tom. Uh, Want to give a report on your latest adventures? Yeah, of course. Um, so just by way of introduction to people who don't know who I am, um, I'm just a, an average guy who started following street epistemology uh, just a year or so ago. Um, I'm not formally trained in um, anything at all, really, philosophy or, you know, I'm, uh, my level of education is relatively low. Um, and I want to put that out there straight away because I want to, people to know that you don't need to be um, highly educated to try street epistemology. That's part of my goal. Um, I uh, heard of Anthony on... I think it was cognitive dissonance, actually. Um, sorry, I'm jumping ahead of myself. I started off an atheist, but I was a bad atheist, really, uh, in the sense that I not really thought about why I disbelieved. Um, 
And one day I was handed the book, The God Delusion. I started really thinking about the subject, became an angry atheist, as lots of people do. Um, but over time, I think my uh, thought processes have matured slightly. Um, so I started listening to lots of podcasts, Scathing Atheist is one in particular, um, then onto the Atheist Experience, and then started listening to things like The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And now I don't consider myself an atheist first and foremost, but a skeptic. And again, I'll get to why I think that's really important. Um, when I first heard Anthony, Anthony in particular, um, conducting SE interviews, I used to think about how I could use these um, when speaking to believers. And in my mind, I was thinking about religion a lot and how I could use these to speak about, uh, to use in religious conversations or with people who are religious. Um, but actually, I met Anthony at QED. We spoke to, sorry, that's a science and skepticism conference in the UK. And there were 600 skeptics or so, uh, me being one of them. And I saw the interest and I started to look at SE not as a way of speaking to religious believers, but a way to try and encourage critical thinking and skepticism. Um, and I think it's really important because lots of people who look at SE initially think it's about religion. Um, actually, it's much, much wider than that. So after QED, I became really inspired. I saw the enthusiasm of the, the skeptics there. And I think that's um, where we really ought to be um, looking to promote this um, with the skeptic community. I think they're already interested in having these type of conversations. Um, they're already um, on board with critical thinking. Um, and, you know, they ask questions about, you know, should I trust this source? Why do I believe these things? Um, yeah, so I, I think that's that's what I'm trying to encourage with doing these SE interviews. So my approach is I've started a YouTube channel um, and I filmed my very first um, interview with someone on the street, the very first. And I, I said um, on my YouTube channel that I was going to post it. So I put probably a bit too much pressure on myself. But the idea was I'd watched Anthony and I'd watched yourself read and your videos are great. And I used to think, God, I could never do that. I could never, I could never um, not show my frustration. <laughs> I could never think of the right question at the right time. Um, I wouldn't have the courage to go and speak to strangers. You know, all of these things. I, I don't have the technology. I don't have the um, the know-how when it when it comes just to doing a Google Hangout. I think Anthony will, um, will let you know I'm just such a dinosaur with this kind of thing. However. I wanted people like me to watch my videos and I wanted them to see someone less polished um, someone who's actually going out there to give it a try, who's making the mistakes that they are going to make um, to have the conversations that they probably didn't expect to have. I've already um, had a few where, I mean, one in particular was um, a lady believed that children today don't appreciate nature. So, um, more of an opinion than a fact, maybe. But, um, yeah, it was a bit of a curveball, and it's trying to think on my feet and stumbling through questions. You'll see in the, inter the interview we're about to review later, um, there are times when I'm stumbling through my questions, not quite forming them correctly. Um, 
maybe not following SE the way it other people have seen it um, done, you know, when it's done properly. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I want people to see that um, you can get out there and have a go. You don't need to be a philosopher. You don't need to be university educated. You don't need to have a PhD. You don't need to have expensive equipment. Um, you can go out and have a go. And I'd like to say that already after four outings, I'm already feeling more confident. Um, I'm not getting the nerves in my stomach the way I was the first time. Um, and I'm actually really starting to enjoy the conversations. And that was after four outings. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to do is encourage people um, who are thinking about having a go to get out there because it's not um, it's not too scary, really. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tom, for sharing that. And no problem. Yeah, like I, I felt the same way starting out. Like when I first read the book, like I, I thought I would never be able to do this type of thing. And after watching Anthony's videos, same thing. Like I, I felt I could. There's no way I could be that way at all. And uh, and yeah, just going out and talking, just finally doing it for the first time, just getting over that first hump was was a lot for me and uh, it's great it's, it's now it's pretty addicting and, and right now did you have the same feeling after my first conversation i was kind of ecstatic it was a really strange feeling um but i was quite emotional really i was quite i was so happy that i'd done it i was excited uh, and i couldn't wait to have my next one it's um it's a wonderful thing to do i think if you're watching this podcast or listening to this podcast, you probably already enjoy having these types of conversations with people. You've probably discussed logical fallacies and, um, you know, the foundations of people's religious beliefs or uh, if people believe in homeopathy, you probably are already engaging in these conversations. So why not go out there and make it? I know some people don't like to call it a hobby, but I'm already finding it it's a hobby um why not do it you already enjoy having these conversations but why not be more effective while having them yep that's great you talk about being less polished and and you're sharing mm. that with us and i really am grateful that i'm grateful that you're brave enough to do that when i first started there's one video in particular there was this street preacher and he was an older guy and he was, you know, yelling and everything. And I was trying to get him to converse with me and he didn't want to. And it got so bad. Like he started walking away from me and I was chasing him to have a conversation. And uh, there was a lady, <laughs> there was a lady who was standing in line to get into the Alamo, this big, long line. She's like, she came up to me. She's like, what are you doing? Like, why are you harassing this guy? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, what am I doing? It was really, it was a really humbling <laughs> experience. And I've never had the heart to upload the video. Maybe one day, like, if I hit some sort of goal, I'll upload the video or maybe 10, yeah, my 10 year mark or something, I'll upload that video. I'm just, I'm horribly embarrassed about it today. I'm just now getting comfortable with the idea of possibly releasing it just to show that, that uh, you're going to make a lot of mistakes when you start out. But when you start seeing that your questions are helping a person reflect on their belief, that is a very exciting feeling. I, 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 I still shake sometimes when you can see that you've made a you've made a connection and that person is thinking about their belief in a way that they may have never thought of before and that is such an it's such an exciting thing 
particularly when you realize that you're recording it and then other people might see it and be encouraged to do it too. It's just this compounding thing. And it's just wonderful. And I'm really glad that you're, that you're doing it. And I think we even have an example here to show that you brought along. Do you want to set it up? Yeah, of course. Um, at the moment, I'm still experimenting um, with pretty much everything I'm doing. So how I initially um, discuss what I'm about to do with the person, the location, um, the equipment. I'm just using an iPhone and a cheap tripod. Um, I have bought myself a little microphone um, because the first video I uploaded, I mean, the wind made it so difficult to hear. And um, yeah, I had to invest in, in something, but... I'm Somebody's going to ask a, what your microphone. Can you tell us a little bit about the equipment? Yeah, I've got a um, it's a Rode Video Mic Me, I think it's called actually. Yeah, yeah, Video Mic Me. So it's only a tiny little thing. It won't work in newer iPhones. It's got a headphone jack, but what I love about it is uh, it doesn't have its own power supply. It just goes straight from the phone. Literally plug it in like you would headphones, and it's a shotgun mic. So we don't have all the background noise, and it's got its own um dead cat so yeah it reduces the, no the background noise and the wind i think for 40 40 pounds something like that so still cheap and accessible for anyone that wants to um record these conversations did you end and, up um, using that mic on this video that we're about to show yeah i did um and so just to be clear i was stood right next to a busy road um this isn't the best place to try and record a conversation, but rookie mistake, uh, man, rookie mistake. Yeah. Well, wait till you hear. I was next to a pedestrian crossing as well, and every time someone tried to cross, you can hear it going beep, 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 beep in the background. Rookie but, mistake says the guy who <laughs> chased his interlocutors. <laughs> I remember doing a few interviews by a bus stop too, and it was great for like three minutes, and then a bus would show up and just completely destroy the interview. So, yeah. I think um, this time round, I'd, I'd already been out to a nice country location. Um, and that's the video I've uploaded with a, the conversation I just mentioned, actually, about children not um, uh, respecting nature. And I was on the way home and I had an hour before I had to collect my son from school. And I was driving past the university and in the uh, street, epistemology, street Epistemology Facebook group, I'd also I'd mentioned about should I go there? Should I engage with younger adults and the pros and cons? And um, I thought I'm driving past the uni sorry i'm going to stop somewhere so it was a real off the cuff and again this is what se is you can stop you don't have to plan you don't have to do the things like read with his equipment you don't need to record it you can stop and talk it doesn't have to be recorded it can be every day but anyway i uh, i stopped saw some people walking out of the uni thought i'll grab one of these and i was still actually setting up the, the phone as i spoke to him um so you Although I think we're starting from about seven minutes into uh, the conversation. The first bit isn't even captured. It was just a, a brief chat as he walked by. And yeah, so it was a real spur of the moment thing. On the way home, I had an hour to spare. And I thought I'd try and grab a university student. And it, that's not what I got. Great. Okay. So with that, I think we'll go ahead and play it. So does that go anyway to... Yeah. So I'm going to mirror back just what you said, just so I can make sure that I've got it clear in my head. I don't want to miss. 
Is anybody not hearing it? Can you re yeah, can you restart it, that. Anthony? Sorry about that. Is that better? All of which um, yeah. we don't read as literally true because there is some element of art or poetry within the text. Within some of it. So 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 you have to read it um, as the genre of writing that it is. Yeah. So you know. So for for example, uh, the book of um, so going back to like the Old Testament, right? So you would you would read the book of Judges as history. So it's, 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 it's written as, as ancient history. You would read the book of Psalms as poetry. The book of Isaiah then is interesting because it mixes poetry and prophecy, kind of speaking directly into a situation. What what's God saying into the situation? Um, and history. So it kind of blends them. So you've got to be got to look at kind of the section of it. What, What's this trying to say? Well, um, you know, and then Matthew, Mark, and John letters, but they're all written different ways. So John's uh, gospel is much more. Uh, it's very, uh, let me say, it's theological. So it's it's written with a very specific kind of direction, um, and they're all written with a, with a specific kind of fo like uh, with a specific focus or message or group of people they're writing to. So they're going to draw different things out of the narrative of Jesus, out of the story of Jesus. And because they're written by different people, they're going to have different perspectives on the same things. Yeah. You know. But so, when we're talking about this, some are uh, historical records and some are yeah. art or poetry. How can a person determine how they should read a particular part of the sure. Bible? What method should they use to understand that this is history and this is art or this is metaphor? What method can they use? So one of the best ways, um, and I was I was talking about this with some folk uh, just on Wednesday actually, is to, and this might sound like a cop out, but it's not. It's to trust the experts. So um, sometimes it's kind of uh, these things can be dismissed as being. Um, so 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 I've been told by uh, atheists in the past. Yeah. Um, you know, but you have to believe in. You know, a literal seven, you know, six, six, six day creation. Why? Well, because it says it in the Bible. And then when I go into, well, you've got to look at who this was, who, what, what story is this telling? This is telling a story of a God who, who creates in, in the context of um, societies around it, uh, who were talking about chaos. You know, the, the, the world was created out of chaos. Um, so it's telling a story about, about. About, about not how God created, it's not a literal account. Um, there's there's a, a temple narrative to it as well, so it's not going to do too much. Um, and then I'm accused of doing theological gymnastics. Okay. You know, um, so, so I'm told, oh, you, you, you can't say that because that's not what it says. It is what it says. So, so there's, there's an element of, of recognizing that there are people who have spent their entire lives working on this stuff. And that when they say, look, when you read a psalm, you can't read it all literally. You know, um, don't read it all literally. Mm. So if you haven't got the time to do all that study, get a study Bible or, um, you know, get some like uh, simple kind of guides to, to, to things. So N.T. Wright has written mm. some brilliant stuff. Uh, Who's that, sorry? For everyone. N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright. Yeah. I'll look that up. Yeah. Okay. So Can I just jump uh, in there? Got a series, it's like Paul for everyone. 
Yeah, go ahead. So, um, thank you. Um, I think we actually missed it at the start. Um, but actually, uh, when I start, started speaking to Ben, he was talking about epistemology and ontology and how he was interested in these big questions. Um, and I, as a matter of interest, I asked him what he actually studied at the university. And he said he wasn't a student. And I asked him if he was a lecturer. And it turns out he's actually one of the chaplains at the university. So the conversation switched directions pretty quickly. Um, I just wanted to point out there that, you know, my thought processes as we were going along and see what you thought. Uh, I asked him a, a question about the method he used, but he actually didn't answer that question other than um, really an appeal to authority, trust the experts. Um, and I'm not sure how to deal with these conversations about how long should I allow him to talk and talk without, when it's quite clear he's not going to answer this question that I've just asked. Um, so that's one thing I, I just want to, to ask you about. And, and then another thing, um, I interrupted him, him as he was speaking and, and made a note of the thing he was saying. And that was something I, I consciously did. I, I stopped, I wrote down the name, N.T. Wright, the person he spoke about. And that was, I wanted him to know that I was actually actively listening to him and interested in what he was saying. And I wondered if you think what you thought about that. Well, deciding when and how to interrupt a person is is one of the hardest things because it's very easy to look like you're being a jerk or you're disrespectful, but you also don't want to have the person just run on and on and on and miss the beauty of the question that you asked about. And I love your question too, and especially when I think about the, the criticism that Daniel was on to talk about, that framing it and saying, uh, what did you say, something like, what method are you using to determine that this is true? Yeah, it, he was he was right? talking about you can't read the Bible literally. Some are po the Psalms are poetry, yeah. and some parts are literal. And so the question was, um, how do how does a person? So not how do I or how do you try to keep it separate? How does a person um, or what method do they use to determine how they should read a particular pa passage? So how they should read it as if it's a metaphor or literal. And yeah, I think it was a great question because we're, we're trying to get to the epistemology of it and framing your question that way, I think diffuses a lot of the earlier criticism that we're telling a person that the reason that they're giving is a method by simply coming out and asking them, what method are you using? How are you determining that the Bible is true? The answer that they provide should be the, the justification, the reason, the method, how they're using that reason to conclude that something is true. So I really like that question. Um, I don't know, Reed, if you have any suggestions for him on how do you how do you keep people on track? Um, for a while, if you saw in my videos, I had like a little whiteboard that I had some sticky notes um, that I would I would write down people's reasons and just stick them on there as I heard them. And if they got too long, if there's a lot of more a lot of reasons on that board, I would just like kind of like kind of raise my hand a little bit and okay well, well can we just stick to this one reason um now i've i've uh now i've st stopped using the board uh, just to see how things go but i'm, I'm thinking of bring it back because sometimes you get a person who's just going to ramble on and on and it's hard to stay on subject and especially but, uh, oh, sorry yeah it could, yeah, it it could be so 
when you have a whiteboard or a timer or even your wrist, your wrist, if you have a wristwatch and the person's going along, just, just a glance at your wrist could be enough of a little uh, physical cue to indicate that maybe, you know, you're losing interest or something and, and you want to take the conversation back just a tad. I like Reed Sticker's idea um, because when someone's talking for so long, as I'm trying to form, formulate my next question or decide what it, what it might be, if they've been speaking for two minutes, sometimes I get, I get lost or I forget all the individual points they've made in that time. Yeah. And that'd be a really nice way to keep track. So by the end of their maybe two minute, uh, uh, I was going to say ramble, but you know, I don't think that's unfair. You can just glance and pick, see five, perhaps five potential questions and, and then choose one. Yeah, I think that's a really handy idea. I might take yeah. that one on. Yeah, because experts is something I would have written down for sure. Because mm. before uh, I hit play on this one, I have to also point out how similar he looks to a guy that I talked with, the Chi Alpha leader here in San Antonio. He looks like a, a spitting image of the guy that I would talk to. Yeah. Uh, again, another thing as well about you know people that are thinking about starting these kind of conversations. The old me would have jumped all over the appeal to authority. Um, and that would have been a, a roadblock in the conversation. That We would have started arguing about that particular point and the conversation would have moved forward. And uh, I heard the fallacy, but decided to move forward and actually try and peel back the layers further. Um, so yeah, it's an improvement on the conversations I would have, I would have had previously. So he's going through and just kind of writing these, these, these guides to uh, to, the, to the Bible, effectively. Mm. Um, but one of the easiest ways that I'll say to people is, you know, if you're really interested, get yourself a decent study Bible. Invest 30 quid or whatever mm. in a decent study Bible. And then when you're reading something, look at the... Because at the beginning, like in a study Bible, normally you'll have like a couple of pages at the beginning that will give you the historical background of the letter or the, the, the book, whatever it is. Um, some of the ways of reading it, some of the kind of important things. And then they'll, they'll give you footnotes underneath. Mm -hmm. uh, for different verses, so that tends to help. So we have don't to use the internet. The yeah. internet, the internet is a minefield of tosh. So we have. To <laughs> I agree. Trust, we have to put a certain element of trust in the experts. Yeah. Okay. So if um, we have experts that say we have to read book A, yeah, we'll just call it book A within the Bible. Yep. You have to read that one way, yep. but we have other experts who view it differently. And they say we have to view it this way. So one is yep. absolutely fact. One might be this is more of a metaphor. But we've got two different opinions of experts. How would a person know which expert to trust? How, which method would they use to understand which expert is more reliable than the other? Sure. There's well, a method question again. Yeah. Um, you know, people will, will come at these things from different different perspectives. Uh, you know, all the time, and they will look at things from a different perspective based on their own experience as well. Um, so, so this for me is where is is where it kind of comes down to asking, well, what is the church for? Like, what is Christianity all about? Um, is it just a kind of intellectual ascent to something, um, or is there something greater going on? Um, and I think there's something greater going on in community and in how we live so i don't think that there is a kind of 
Um, He's moved away from the question. Believe this and you're in, but believe that and you're out. I think that that kind of community is one of fear. Not necessarily conscious fear, but subconscious fear. Um, it's about desiring security. You know, I want to be with the people who believe the same thing as me. Uh, but actually, the church isn't isn't like that. Isn't supposed to be like that. The early church was 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 known for its hospitality for those um, for whom it yeah, its hospitality for those who who were outside of it. Um, you know, there was a I can't remember his name. There was a Roman guy. Uh, uh, leader who who tried to kind of make paganism into the thing that uh, into, into kind of the opposite of uh, Christianity, like a rival to it. Mm -hmm. And he said, I can't remember the exact quote. It was something like, uh, "We need to be more like the Christians. Um, they uh, they uh, they they don't just love their poor; they love our poor as well." Um, and so there's something in that about being alongside what you might call the other. So rather than there being a kind of, right, we need to thrash this out until, until one of us realizes that we're wrong and then comes over to the other person's point of view, I think that, that the church is a place where we can have those uh, discussions, those conversations, those debates, but where actually we, we uh, get to the point where we say, um, not get to the point, but at the, at the root of who we are, we say, okay, you might think that the, the world was created in six days. And I might think that uh, it happened through a process of evolution that was kick-started by God and was upheld uh, through, through him. was um, guided by him. But we sit, in, we, uh, we sit as part of a greater narrative that says that Christ is at the center of the world, um, that we want to uh, extend the kingdom of God. We want to draw people into this community of justice, this one of... Uh, this alternative community that doesn't uh, it doesn't capitulate to the kind of fear and violence of the world, but that says no, there is a better way. There's an alternative way of peace, of community, um, of, of authentic uh, grace and hospitality to to the other. And that's scary because that means coexisting with people who you disagree with fundamentally on something. Um, but that for me is 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 kind of what it boils down to. Um, and that's why epistemology is so interesting, because, because for me, the core of Christianity is, is, is Jesus. And actually, to some extent, I don't know why I believe this stuff sometimes. Well, it's really honest. Yeah, I don't know, but I Can you stop it there? And he... Wow. That was, that was really, really difficult to, to stand and listen to. I'd gone, he'd gone so far away from the original question, but I allowed him to talk. The further away he was going from the question, I think the more I realised he, he was uncomfortable with it. He, I think he knew he didn't really have a great answer for that original question. And remember, that was, how do we know which expert to trust? So not sure how we ended up where we are now, but how honest, you know, for him to admit he's a chaplain. He talks to people all day about his belief in God and encourages them as well. And for him to admit on film to a stranger that he doesn't know why he believes it, um, I think that's incredible. And something that I've heard from other tips and videos is where there is honesty, acknowledge it. Um, 
And that's why I jumped in there straight away. You know, I was, I was taken aback slightly by that admission. But I had to let him know, wow, well, you know, that was very honest. Well done. Yeah, I love um, that. That's really great. And I, I think uh, if I remember the video now, I, this is where I start to um, not hold his feet over the fire. It's not really the right term to use, but um, I think I start to try to ask some more questions rather than allow the conversation to, to ramble on so much. He's captured just, who I am. Just, yeah, jump in. Is it important to you to, that you know as many true things as possible? Oh, man. Um, oh. I, for me, I, yeah, I love the, I, I love truth. Nice wow. pause. Man. We're watching, I was watching awesome. Manic with my son uh, last night, the uh, second one. Um, we're talking about the deep, the, the, the second one, the deep, and they were talking about those kind of big kind of vent tower things, um, and how there are there, there are hydrocarbons being made in one of them, and that that's where they think life started. For example, very very bottom of the ocean. I think that's incredible. I think that's stunning. Oh, that's true. Brilliant. Love it. But there is there's some there's, there's something about mystery of Jesus that has grasped that's kind of grasped me and grabbed hold of me and it says there's more there's more to it than just this stuff. Mm. Um, you know, people are you know, people are crying out for, for for love and they're crying out and and for me that is almost the greatest truth. If Christianity wasn't true yeah. and Jesus wasn't I don't want to put words in your mouth, the Son of God. That yeah. Um, so if that wasn't true, is that something you would want to know? Uh, yeah. So when, if you don't know why you believe, yeah. but you do want to know true things, yeah. how do you, how do you become confident when you're not sure how you can be so sure. It's not very yeah, well worth the yeah. question, but I, if no, you want I to know that. things, yeah. So what is it about Jesus then? How can you feel so confident when you accept you don't really know why you believe it's Do we know how confident he is? Because, no. because okay. I've experienced uh, transformation through him, personal transformation. I've seen uh, people encounter, encounter him in ways that aren't explained. And it's not that I don't, it's not that I'm kind of in a perpetual state of not knowing why I believe. Uh, so sometimes it, it's, it's frustrating and I don't get it. Um, but there are other times when I'm, when I'm absolutely sure. Uh, and I believe it because it's the, you know, it's the most, it, from a kind of historical perspective. The Sorry, guys. It's the only explanation that makes sense for this. Um, it do you have to go? Just is. No, it's okay. And okay. If that, we accept Jesus yeah. existed, yeah. if we accept Jesus existed and that Jesus was the beginning of the church, mm -hmm. how does that have any impact on the truth of whether he is actually the Son of God or not? Um, well, if he was who he said he was, 
then it's everything. Is it possible that a man named Jesus could have existed and was the reason the church came to be? But this man named Jesus was not actually the Son of God. Is that a possibility? I, it's a possibility. I don't think it's true, but it's a possibility. I think that's good question. Pretty much a good place. Hmm. Okay. Good question to leave him with. That was a great time to end the conversation, too, on that note. That was a yeah. high point. Good job. Love it. So can can you uh, maybe give me some feedback on the conversation as a whole? I know that I didn't get the scaling at the start. Reed mentioned that um, sort of as we were going through. Um, I usually do like to use a scale. You know, people argue about the pros and cons, and I think it's still handy to use as long as you're aware of the potential um, downsides. But um, at the start, there was seven minutes before this video started where, wow, I mean, he just said so much that it was hard to pin down what we were actually going to talk about and by the time we got there and we decided to talk about I think the bible was initially what we started on I'd lost track a little bit um, and I just forgot to to ask him um, where, where his confidence was on a scale so again it's a, a mistake that I'm sure I'll make again but I would have liked to have got it in there there was one point in the conversation where he said something and I thought I would have, I would have immediately interrupted and said why. And I almost paused the video, but I just let it go. So there's one point in there where he said something I would have responded with why to keep him focused and, and kind of keep him thinking about his, his belief. And, and then later on, you kind of struggle to form that question. That's yeah. common. That happens to me all the time. Yeah. So sometimes I draw, I ask the stupidest question in, in, at the most key point of the, of the discussion. I'm like, oh man, I, I pretty much ruined that interview. But don't beat yourself up over it because it is hard to form those questions on the spur on the spur of the moment like that. Mm. So it, it, you'll get better at it, but it, I still struggle with it too. And then I was reminded also of the, uh, the recent comparisons that I've been seeing on social media to Gregory Kokel's tactics. He's a Christian apologist and he, he advocates for something close to SE. And one of the things that he says, which is similar to what we've said in the past is if this individual realized that he doesn't have a good justification for his belief or an unreliable epistemology, that maybe this conversation will be the impetus to go out and find those reasons. And that's something that I hope that this individual does. I, I hope this this conversation was a wake up call for him, uh, for at the very least encourage him to go out and find, uh, if not better reasons to, to justify his belief. He might reflect on how he could verbalize it better. Mm. So, for example, he may have a really good way of justifying his belief, but he was on the spot, and he's kicking himself for not having worded things differently. So at the very least, that might help him be able to verbalize his beliefs better and, and, and explain the justifications that he does have. Mm. A real high point for me was the use of the pause where I asked him, is it important to you for you to know as many true things as possible? For me and for most people, there's no thought required for the answer to that question. <laughs> but for him, it was, you know, nine, ten seconds you know, you really have to think hard about whether it was important to him. I think it's really powerful stuff. The, the, the pause there, 
tells him, well, if he reflects, you know, maybe it, it will have him consider, you know, that, that point. I don't know. It's, I, I just thought that was a great point of the interview. It would have also been interesting to, to throw the belief scale at him at the end. So based on everything that we've talked about and and recognizing that you want to believe true things and you're not entirely sure if if this belief is true or whatever, I, I wouldn't want to put words in his mouth either. Where, where can we put your belief on a scale of certainty that this is really true? It might be interesting to hit him with that at the end and maybe even just let him think about it so that he doesn't have to verbalize it. Yeah, good advice. Yeah, love it. Cool. Want to move on to the Q&A? Thank you, okay. Tom. That was great. Do you want to stick around? Yeah, I'd love to. Can you? Cool. Yeah, no problem. All right. Awesome. Sweet. All right. Moving on to questions. Um, yeah, feel free to ask questions in the chat, and we'll try to get to them. Um, first question comes from Chasing Smith, I think. Uh, can you push for the interlocutor to answer the question you asked? Uh, like, push for it? Um, I think we talked about a little that a little bit, didn't we? I have had people answer a question other than the one that I asked. So the classic one is, you know, how did you determine that that's true? And they say, well, I get this, uh, what they might say. They, they, they wouldn't just necessarily answer the question. And then I'll say, I'm not sure if you actually answered my question. Do you want me to rephrase it? Or if they... If they seem kind of confused about your question, you can ask them if they can repeat the question that they think that you're asking. And that usually helps them stay focused too. Love that. Next question from BJ Price. Uh, this may seem like a strange question, but how important is eye contact for SE? I don't make eye kind, I don't I don't make eye contact, but I can fake it quite well, he says. Ooh, well, if you're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation in person, eye contact is a very important. If you're wearing sunglasses, I'd advise you to take them off. Uh, you don't want to be staring at a person. You, you know, look away every once in a while or blink. But eye, con eye contact is very important. So uh, don't don't stare and don't chase them. <laughs> Mental notes. Yeah. yeah, definitely don't do that. There was that one incident where. I had my eyes dilated, so my pupils were just huge. <laughs> and I think that freaked out a few people that one day that I was doing it. But yeah, just don't stare, but definitely, definitely you want to appear interested in what they're saying. And usually what they're saying is interesting. So just be careful. And then uh, keep the focus on them too. So avoid the temptation to look at your phone. If somebody walks by that might grab your attention, just try to stay focused on the person. Or if there's some distraction, or even if, if there's another person standing by, making sure that you're looking right at the person that you're talking to, even if the, the person off to the side starts talking, their, their, their friend or whatever, if they, sometimes people can't help but jump in, you might want to just glance over at them to acknowledge that you're hearing them, but then turn your attention back to the person. And that usually sends the signal to the, the person off to the side that you're really not interested in them at this point. You want to stay focused to the person that's right in front of you. Yeah, I think I see more than, sorry, Reed. Sorry. Uh, I think, go ahead. I think SE is more than just um, more than just asking questions. Um, we communicate with much more than just words. So your body language is incredibly important. And um, you want to be friendly and engaging in eye contact is a huge part of that. But uh, just on the back of that, I wanted to ask one question. Um, I notice that I nod 
a lot when I'm listening to someone. And I'm concerned that that might seem as though I'm agreeing with them, even if I'm not. Uh, it's not something I mean to do. It's it's just me. I mean it as though I'm listening to what you're saying. And I just want to make sure I'm not giving the wrong message. What are your thoughts on this nodding dog thing that I've got going on? <laughs> I do that too. And I was just, I'm editing a video that I'm going to release today where I noticed that I do that. I'm, you'll see if in the clip, the, the wide shot, you'll see my head kind of bobbing like this. But I, I think most people understand that that doesn't necessarily mean agreement, at least in the United States generally. There might be some cultures where when you're doing that, it absolutely means that you're concurring with them. The habit that I had to break was saying, yes, okay, like, or yeah, I get it. Um, that might actually cross the line and indicate that you're agreeing with it, what they say. So I've tried to replace that with like, hmm, hmm, okay, hmm, rather than saying yes, yes, which I think could be interpreted as agreement. And, and yeah, for sure, um, eye contact is a big thing for me. It's 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 it goes both ways. Like, I want them to see my eyes and to see like I'm listening and I'm I'm. Like I'm there trying to understand them and, and I'm and I'm feeling like good about the conversation. So it's it's a lot it has a lot to like uh to do with getting them to be more comfortable as well. Like if if I didn't make any eye contact, they would probably be very uncomfortable and probably want to end the conversation sooner than we would like. Um okay, moving on to next question. Uh by Jonathan you can, in y'all's experience, uh, where's the best place, best and worst places to go when starting your SC practice? I like public parks. Facebook. Oh, <laughs> starting well, out. Yeah. Yeah. So if we're talking, yeah, if we're talking about it in general, I would say like an online, an online forum where anyone could jump in is difficult because your conversation will probably get thrown off track by people who don't understand what you're trying to do. And they will just jump in with the typical apologetic counter apologetics and insults. So that will set you back. Now, if we're talking about like going out in public and doing this, like the three of us do, uh, you have to consider, you know, the production quality of, of the video that you're capturing. So like standing next to a street light that's beeping every three minutes could be problematic. <laughs> and, uh, but there are going to be factors that you can't control an airplane flying overhead, a kid on the trail that starts crying. Um, there are certain things that you can do to minimize that, but you're never going to completely uh, avoid those things. Um, I, I would say probably environments where the person's passing through, like a bus stop is not only noisy, but they're only going to be there for a couple minutes before they hop on a bus. But a park is great. Uh, people are usually going there. They have some time. And that's, that's a, such a big part of this is that you don't want people to feel rushed. You don't want people to feel like they have to give you an answer before they jog, they jog off to something. So uh, those are all important considerations, I think. Yeah, it's like when you quiet, a lot of foot traffic, and uh, not rushed. And it seems like parks fill that criteria yeah. very nicely. Regarding the foot traffic, though, you want a good mix. You don't want to be in the woods where there's only three cars in the parking lot yeah. Because not only will you be waiting a long time, but it's kind of it's kind of weird. Like that could be really scary for somebody uh, when there's nobody else around. But if there's a good mix of people, 
and there's some good foot traffic, but not enough to be too distracting, then uh, then I think people feel a little bit more safe when there's just there's this there's other people around that could step in if things got out of control. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, next question uh, is standing outside a church recommended. Uh, could you talk about the pros and cons? Didn't Bogosian do that at one point, or I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he did it or not. I've tried it a couple times. The my my sort of trade off was I was a little too scared to go in front of a church, so I went to a movie theater that rented out some of its space to be a church. So there were both churchgoers and movie theater patrons filtering out oh, at the same that, time. Yeah. So it kind of it made it a little bit less less awkward for myself, but I don't see anything wrong with that. Uh, going out and setting up setting up something in front of the church, you might want to just ask the the people at the church first if they wouldn't mind. If you're lucky, they may even make an announcement to say, "Hey, Sally's out there today, and she's asking questions. I think she's a non-believer, but hey, you might be able to go and have a good discussion with her." So you don't always have to do it on the sly either. You could just ask somebody if they wouldn't mind. You have to be careful about where you stand, though. Sometimes, like if you're on a on private property, they might call the police. Uh, but if you're on a sidewalk, you probably be safe. I know some people in the SE groups talk about just going to to like apologetic classes or or just Sunday school classes. That seems pretty hard, but if you feel like it, sure. <laughs> yeah, you want to make sure that you weren't just deluged and surrounded by people. You want to you want you want one-on-one -on -one conversations. So just try to keep that in mind. Yes, you want good foot traffic. Yes, you want to talk to people who are holding a particular belief. Uh, but just keep in mind your safety and you don't want to become a scene. Hmm. Um, what is your favorite question to ask an interlocutor? I don't know. Do you have one yet, Tom? Really, any question that begins with the word how. You know, those how questions are, are what I'm aiming for. So we go for the what, the why, and try and get straight to those how questions. So I like to talk about the method. So whatever it might be, if they make a claim, how can you be so sure? And that applies pretty much for anyone that's speaking to you about any belief. The question that I'm really starting to like these days is, do you want to believe true things? You can start off with that. You can put it in the middle. You can end with it like you did there, Tom. It's a profound question. And sometimes you're, you could be surprised by what somebody will say. Some people will say, no, it's not important for me to believe true things. I just want, I just want to have an exciting life. I even met somebody like that once. I think I have a video. I can't remember her name. Uh, so that's an important question because if somebody doesn't value truth, moving on to the particular belief they hold is almost a waste of time. You really have a more important discussion to to handle first. So that's a good one. I like that one. Reed, anything for you? Yeah, I'm. I'm yeah, I'm still experimenting with like, like what the beliefs is doing for them. So questions to try to understand that type of thing. Like, if it wasn't true, how would you feel about that? Um, or if you woke up tomorrow morning without the belief, uh, what would be missing? That those types of things. Like I want to understand what the belief is doing for them, because those types of things seems to be like if you like those need to be addressed some at some point as well, because that has a lot to do with 
believing these types of things. Um, any other questions? Would the atheist experience have a day for using SE only in their show? Um, That's a good question. That'd be great. That's a great question. Good question. That's up to them. I can tell you that last Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, my son and I went to the studios in Austin. They have a new show coming out called Talk Heathen, and they needed my son's drone to, to get a couple of the shots for their intro. They have a little 30-second video that plays. And the guys that are associated with the show, the, the guys that are the guests, uh, sorry, the hosts, as well as the people behind the scenes, they love SE. Uh, they were joking when that when we when when will there be an SE related show? So that's I think it's on on people's minds whether they would do a whole day dedicated to it. I don't know. That's that's a really clever question. Uh, it does seem like they're they're incorporating it here or there, but then perhaps not exactly sure where to go. Like when they're done asking the how and they get the pause, they're not really sure how to wrap up the conversation, and then they kind of slip to the what the what type of questions. Let's go back to the morality in the Bible. Why do you think the Bible, you know, tell me about why you think the Bible is a source of morality. And and uh, so, yeah, it kind of would be neat to see a, a day of SE questions on that show. I wonder if those guys allow guests on their little show, their pre-show, because I'll be in Austin in two weeks uh, for Wait, a film festival. You're going to be in Austin in two weeks? Yeah, on the 10th. No kidding. So if jot that down, maybe we could do like a post AXP show. If well, that's probably, that would be amazing. Ooh. So here's the thing. Like, I think that there would be people that would be very excited about that, but then this is an organization that votes and there's, they have to run things by. So there's a little bit of bureaucracy. Oh, okay. I don't think that they could just like, Hey, let's set it up and have it done. Uh, why did I get blurry all of a sudden? I guess my snapping of the fingers uh, did that. Oh, okay, that's weird. Uh, so yeah, th that's a that's an interesting idea. Or maybe at the very least, read we can meet up and do some SE on the trail together. Oh, I'd love to. All right. So I think that's our questions for today. Um, I guess we can end on that. Uh, end on that song. So.
uh, just real quick, I forgot to mention who wrote that song. So I wanted to go over that real quick. The the words and music of that song, which we called Street Epistemology, was written by Gary Monroe, M-U-N-R-O. And he also played all of the instruments that you hear in that song. And the vocals are by Mark Amendola. Amendola. Mark Amendola. We'll have the lyrics to that song in the show notes. And I think we released that as a as an independent podcast episode. I want to say it's episode 202. Yeah, so if you want to just listen to that song again, you can go to that episode and check it out. Guys, it was really nice having you on. Thank you very much. Let's uh, let's explain where everybody can find you. Yeah, thanks again. Uh, read from Cordial Curiosity. You can check me out on Facebook or YouTube. And you can find me on YouTube. Uh, the um, channel's called Placing Pebbles, and you can contact me on Twitter at Placing Pebbles. Very original. And you can find me on Twitter at MagnaBosco and my YouTube channel. Just search for my name. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Street Epistemology is a technique by Dr. Peter Bogosian in his book, A Manual for Creating Atheists, and his Android and iOS app, Atheos. 